Hi, my name is Nate Conrad. This is the true story of the Disney career of Bianca Majoli. This segment was cut from the final Cinderella episode for two reasons. First, for time. Leaving this segment in would have extended the episode well past two hours in length, which we try to avoid as best we can. Second, for the intense emotional response from the hosts. Her experience was tremendously affecting, and affected us tremendously. You may have been able to tell in the episode, by the tone of our voice, that her story had the power to change the mood entirely. So much so that the episode released was our third attempt at audio. The following audio comes from our first attempt. Please enjoy. The woman in Disney I want to talk about most is one of the women I've mentioned once, maybe twice before, and absolutely twice in this episode. Bianca Maggioli, born in Rome, 1900, did the Chef Boyardee thing and changed her name to the more Americanized Blanche Maggioli at the insistence of a French teacher, which makes no sense to me, because shouldn't the French teacher be good at saying things in other languages? You would think. Just French. You would think. Just French can't figure out i have a funny story about like my french teacher she went to italy um when she was younger and she was actually from france so she thought she had figured out how to speak italian by putting o at the end of everything Uh. she was playing volleyball on the beach with some guys and she was trying to say get the ball over the over the uh net and uh net in french is filet uh so she was saying Hola, filetto, filetto. And uh, everybody was breaking up laughing because she was saying, uh, get the ball over the fish. Yes. <laughs> Oy vey. Yeah. Oy vey. Yeah. Can't do uh, that. So, maybe you could do that with Italian and Spanish, but not French. Maybe. Italian. It's a little different with the French. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're weird and their language should be mocked. I can say that. I studied <laughs> it for eight years. Okay. Sure. So, uh... In America, she spent most of her formative years in Chicago, attending McKinley High School. She had a chance encounter in her senior year, 1919, with a young man who was formerly the cartoonist of the school newspaper and had just returned from lying his way into the Red Cross in order to serve in World War I. She handed him her yearbook, and he signed it for her with a few little doodles. Walt Elias Disney. First time they ever actively met, and it wouldn't be the last forever, just for a while. Studied at the Chicago Academy of Fine Arts, uh, studied more art in New York City, worked in the fashion industry in Rome and Paris until 29, when she ran out of money, uh, moving back to New York to work as an art director for the J.C. Penney catalog. After the stock market crash, Black Tuesday, not one of the more recent ones, she found herself still somewhat employed enough to go see a picture, and just so happened to catch a funky little tune of a mischievous mouse, one with the familiar name of Walt Disney attached to it. This event inspired her to start a newsprint comic of her own called Stella, about a down-on-her-luck girl trying to find steady employment during the Great Depression. It didn't get picked up for syndication, but she got a wild hair to write a letter to her old high school peer about what she could do different. Turns out he not only remembered her, but loved the Stella comic, and the two of them planned to meet up in L.A. at Walt Disney's favorite restaurant in the whole world, the Tam O'Shanter. Apparently there was a place he liked more than the Brown Derby this whole time, and I never knew about it. Wait, the Tam O'Shanter? The Tam O'Shanter. <laughs> Stop! 
so he just switched hats? He did. Oh my he, gosh. <laughs> he loves hats. Walt Disney loves bars that are named after are hats. You, there's literally a bar named the Tam O'Shanter. It's still open what? today. We could go to it. Why would he pick like the two places in like LA or wherever the boy likes hats oh they're both named ever hats all right he has a thing Mm -hmm. for hats has a thing for hats and he has a thing for he is a man of many hats man of (laughs) he's a man of two hats at the very least anyway (laughs) derbies and shanters Mm -hmm. tam shanter uh so they met uh he was so impressed with her that he offered her a job now in the 20s you would think that because she's a girl he's offering her to work in the ink and paint department but no Absolutely not. Walt wanted her in the story department, and she wanted to be there, quitting her job at JCPenney's to become the only woman in the writer's Hell room. Hell yeah. Yeah, the, the Hell freaking yeah. haze, the, the cigarette haze and, you know. Suspenders, just living live a life of Riley. And, and oh God, the, the writer's room was insane. Uh, I'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, this was back in the day when Walt was still active. And he was often right there by her side, standing up for her and sticking up for her, which was a necessity. It wasn't necessarily because she was a woman in the 20s, but that didn't help. No, the story department was a particularly brutal department to work in. If you proposed a bad idea, the whole room shat on you, booing and jeering and throwing wads of paper at you. If you really wanted to sell your idea, you had to get boisterous with it, act it out, do voices, maybe costumes. There are accounts of full-on rudimentary drag shows going on to show off particularly funny can-can dances. Uh, Bianca, unfortunately, was naturally reserved, calm, to herself as it were. She didn't get many stories out, but she worked on a number of them, and one of her stories that really stood out was Elmer Elephant. It's a story about a little elephant who gets invited to a birthday party for another jungle animal, and the rest of the party mock and make fun of him for his weird nose. He's sad until he runs into a giraffe, who says not to let it get him down. After all, he gets made fun of for his long neck, and the pelicans get made fun of for their big beaks. Together they form an impromptu fire brigade to save the party, which is caught on fire for some reason. And in doing so, they show off that what makes them different is what makes them special. The story was remembered very fondly by Wooly Reifman, uh, Frank Thomas, and Ollie Johnson, three of Walt's nine old men, who are, like, primary influences on the Disney style. Uh, and it has this short in itself has been considered one of the sleeper influences to Disney animation for introducing pathos. Abby, I'm sure you already know, but for those who are listening who don't, Pathos as a literary device is a quality that appeals to the emotions, making the viewer feel pity, which makes them relate to a character. This quality is completely missing from many, many, many early Disney cartoons, which were absurdly Mm gag-heavy. The injection of pathos into the writing is what changed Pinocchio from a cruel character to an innocent boy. Uh, The short itself is what led to the acquisition of Dumbo for a future-length film. Her mother tongue Italian also came in handy, as she was responsible for providing Walt with a completely original translation of the original Pinocchio. And artistically speaking, Bianca lent her style to Fantasia, working out paintings uh, for the basis of the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies, and story sketches for Peter Pan, developing the earliest designs for Tinkerbell. But yeah, uh, Elmer was beloved, Pathos became integral for the Walt Disney storytelling style, 
you'd think that things would be milk and honey for someone so influential. Yeah, but... Disney is pathos. That's they make their money off <laughs> off yeah. the back of that chuck wagon. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> but you know, it's the twenties, man. <sighs> and she's uh, a woman. First, Bianca was being paid probably the lowest in the story department at eighteen dollars a week. Compare that to the average seventy to eighty dollars that others Are would you grab. Freaking kidding me right now. It gets weirder. One young upstart hired in 1932, an incorrigible little rapscallion by the name of Art Bat, was taking home $288 a week. Are you... F God, that makes me so mad. I don't understand how that happens. I get that Walt was, like, skewing the prices based on what he thought, like, stories were worth, but... Squeaky, maybe squeaky wheels, skew man. it differently. Squeaky wheels, and he was a young, encourageable upstart. So yeah, that was... freaking mother bit, he made his little rapscallion rust about. Yeah, because because he's like, oh, I'm you know that that charismatic kind of visionary, you know, like cult leader type that you mistakenly yeah. think that they're going places because they are yeah. loud. Unfortunately, he did, and unfortunately, he's beloved by everyone yeah. except for people. Who you know like people? Well, at two hundred bucks a week, I can mm -hmm. I can be beloved. Nearly three hundred bucks a week. Gosh, that makes me. And she was uh, making eighteen. You said eighteen dollars a week. Eighteen dollars a week. Oh mm -hmm. my uh, stars! And secondly, her personality and unfortunate life choice of being born a girl <laughs> made her a target for her male coworkers. One incident. Uh, seeing her practically chased back to her office by a booing crowd for suggesting dancing flowers to be put into Snow White. What uh, the that, heck? That incident also sees Walt ripping up her drawings in front of the middle of the presentation. On one hand, he was passionately violent about Snow White to everyone, and he'd done it before to other artists, and by George, he'd do it again. On all other hands, what the f***, dude? What, like, so uncalled for. The... Yeah. Her dancing flowers did eventually get utilized in Fantasia, but still, what the f***, what dude? The f that makes me so mad. Freaking all these grown men acting like children. Mm -hmm. It also didn't help that her success working on Dumbo and Fantasia seemed to make the men in the department heap it on worse and worse to her. To the point where despite the immense success of Elmer Elephant, in both popular reception and merchandising potential... None of the planned sequel shorts, and there were planned sequel shorts, none of them were ever made. Gosh. Every, every source I have dis clearly describes her as a deep introvert working in a world of heavy extroverts. And after years and years and years of that environment growing ever more hostile towards her, she became reclusive, avoiding story meetings, locking herself in her private office, giving her ideas away to the few friends she had to pass on to Walt. Uh, because, you know, she thought that was the only way that they would get used. Eventually, she decided that enough was enough, and she was going to take a nice long vacation. And when she came back, she straightened things out with Walt, told him just how she felt, and told him to straighten up the boys' club and make it more equal and a professional environment. <laughs> Which I'm... But that didn't really I happen. was going to say, yeah, okay. Yeah. She came back from vacation and found someone she'd never met before in her office. She found all her things neatly packed away. She found out she'd been fired while she was gone. Walt never told her himself, and she never worked in animation again. Eventually, she would marry fellow artist Carl Heilborn, 
They would open up the Heilborn Studio Gallery, where the two of them and other local artists exhibited their work for the world to see. But she would never write or create for animation or storytelling again. Towards the end of her life, she lost her eyesight and the ability to paint, and she said of her condition something that really sticks with me. If it should happen, being able to paint again, I shall place my fingers in a paint pot and work like a child. It might be a wonderful experience to start life all over again as a child. Uh, and she would pass on at the age of 97 in 1997. It's kind of a it's kind of a Debbie Downer, but yeah, but it's this is this is the environment. Yeah. Uh, this is the way it was. And it's and this is important. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was I was going to say this is important uh, because even though she was so maliciously treated and abused, she was the first to break what was referred to as the celluloid ceiling. Like, the reason I said, like, she was going to work in the ink and paint department was because, like, if you were a girl, you worked in the ink and paint department. Yeah. And that meant, you know, you put the ink on the celluloid, you put the paint on the celluloid that everybody else draws and comes up with. And she was the first woman to be outside of that environment. She opened the door for Mary Blair. She opened the door for... for... Oh, God everyone who came after her and it sucks that she was so talented and that she was so she had so much potential and it was all just squandered because you know this isn't the way things are done here fortunately after her things were done a little bit differently but yeah got it what cost right it's it's just so awful because it's also like we like to think of things as you know being this or that like how now you know disney is this freaking all-consuming empire and but back then they were you know he was about to sell the company and and they were really trying to do cost-cutting measures and so we, we like to think of it as you know they were a small group of people who were passionate and who all you know treated each other kindly and all wanted to be there but even even as a you know quote-unquote like a humble beginnings so to speak even mm. in that there was still this like difference and there was still this this hierarchy and it just it it like flames me it makes me so mad thinking about that in like how similar it is to like literature to modern literature and how you have your like your virginia wolfs and your you know mary wilsoncrafts and your Mary Shelley's and your women who were the first or you know among the first to break into this modern kind of boys club and you know ended up being destroyed for it and destroying themselves in some cases and it was just being the first the first wave of women in this male dominated creative market it is like such a huge responsibility and it's such a huge drain on your heart you know it's a huge weight and so it's it's too much to bear for some people um and it shouldn't have to be borne by anyone you know they shouldn't have to have so much trouble just doing what everyone else is doing you know and 
yeah. makes me so mad. And this is like not that long ago. Like <sighs> this was the this was the forties, man. Yep. But thank God, you know, she outlived him. So there's that. She did take that. She did. She got the last. She outlived m- most of the uh, peers in the writers' department. So suck it, um, freaking jerks with your healthy cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah, healthy cigarettes. They clear out your lungs and they make you live forever. What? We can't say that anymore. Oh shit. Oh, I just realized They taste I good. just realized unintentionally that was a very much a too soon <laughs> thing. Considering the recent death of somebody a, a public figure from lung cancer who smoked. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> true. Um, hey, like, didn't it, are, if we're talking about the same guy, is this the one who used to read off the names of people who died from AIDS yes. and play horns? Yes. Yeah. What a. Um, also, ironically, it might be the fact that she was, you know, ousted from the writers' room so quickly, and that she left so quickly that she she was able to live yeah, for so survived. long because she wasn't dealing with secondhand smoke. <laughs> Five days a week. Yeah, she wasn't, like, opening up the room to the cloud. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Back in my day, when I was an animator, connecting to the cloud meant just going into the writer's room. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, yes. Freaking But that's all crap. I have for production. Okay. And you really did end on a bummer. I did. I'm sorry, but... Like, Are we still talking about like Cinderella? <laughs> This first attempt was scrapped for more reasons than just the Bianca Majoli story. We, you know, kind of had an off day. Just jokes weren't clicking. Uh, The second attempt went a lot better, but not by much, and midway through, the audio was completely scrapped. This meant, of course, a third telling of her upsetting story, which did nothing to dull our reactions to it. The following audio is a segment cut from what would ultimately be our Cinderella episode. Speaking of Pinocchio, when they were working on that one, uh, because she was a native speaker of Italian, Walt asked her to take the uh, Carlo Collodi story and do an original translation that they would base the uh, story on. And so a lot of her influences uh, really shone through in uh, how they adapted the character. So she deserves um, a lot of love, adoration, and respect from her peers. And not, not just because of that, uh, but also because her art style was very beautiful and very respectable. She did some art of dancing flowers that directly inspired uh, the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies in Fantasia. In fact, she did the earliest sketches for Tinkerbell in Peter Pan. She had a very far-reaching influence. So, what, you're what right. What bad she things happened to her? <laughs> she, well, uh, you want to you wanna hear it financially first? I, I want... Treat this like a band-aid. I just wanna I just wanna rip all this all right. off. I just wanna get through this and be very upset and then go on. Alright, then let's stop sugarcoating it. Uh 
she was getting paid $18 a week in the 20s and 30s, which was a significant portion of a paycheck, but compared to her male peers who were getting $70 to $80, it was a pittance. You are kidding me. Um, you want to get angrier? 1932, they hired a incorrigible little rapscallion by the name of Art Bat, whose work was... Uh, Walt deemed worthy of taking home $288 a week in the 30s. Excuse me? $288 a week? I'm just as baffled as And you she's are. being paid $18 in the same dollars week? Dollars a week. Mm-hmm. I, one could argue that Art Bass, uh did a lot of stuff that revolutionized the way that characters are designed. But one could also argue that $288 is absolutely not what one person should be getting paid for that Especially work. Especially compared to... When someone out there Because, okay, $18 versus like $70 or $80, that's, that's like bad. Like, that's, wow, what the heck, that's like 20%, at most 20% of there. Yeah. But $18 a week versus... Almost $300 a week? Yeah. I I think that like, if he had been making $150 a week, that's fair for what he was doing, but it's still way too much. She should have definitely been making, oh, I don't know, $80 a week. Well, and they can't... Uh, just to start They with. can't even, like... It also makes me mad because it's like, well, she doesn't do... She didn't contribute a lot. Well... Yeah, because those son of a bitches, those sons of bitches didn't listen to her because they browbeat her exactly. and yelled at her and ab freaking abused her micro and macro aggressions, chased her back to her office, like you mentioned um, to me before in, in other times. Mm -hmm. Like, they literally made her life a living hell, so she couldn't contribute. She could have been just as as much of a contributor as that mother bat, but she couldn't because they literally didn't allow her. And so they can't, nobody, nobody has the right to say, well, she did $18 a week's worth of work. Cause no, cause that's, she could have been doing so much more. And even with what she was managing to get out, she deserved more than $18 a week. But furthermore, she probably was capable of so much more, but she wasn't able to because the world sucks and these people suck yeah. and these people shouldn't be put up on freaking pedestals. <sighs> okay. I'm done. Go on. Okay. Let me just, I lost my spot. Oh, okay. I hate I hate being I hate having to listen to this a third time and get mad. I know, mad a I know, I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm fucking I tried I'm trying to sprint through it. Yeah, the workplace was a pretty awful place for her and there's no sugarcoating that. There's no getting over it like she was as you said, you know, browbeaten by her um co-workers the they made it worse for her the more success that she got she was getting undervalued and underpaid she was actually chased back to her office after an incident where she uh 
proposed a change to uh, Snow White early, early on in its production, where she thought, hey, maybe some dancing flowers. Uh, that incident saw terrible things happening to her and her art, and she just couldn't take it after a certain point. Um, she decided she was going to go on a long vacation, and after she came back, she decided she was going to, you know, try to reacclimate, try to get Walt closer on her side, uh, because this was getting absolutely ridiculous. But when she came back from her vacation, one week vacation, she found somebody she never met before sitting in her office. All of the things that she was working on for future productions and current productions were packed away in different departments. She had been fired while she was gone, and Walt never even told her about it himself. Uh, every source I have says that she never worked in animation again. Her next work in art was after marrying fellow artist Carl Heilborn. They opened up the Heilborn Studio Gallery, where the two of them and other local artists exhibited their work for the world to see, and she would just spend the rest of her life putting art out that way. Um, her influence in the Disney company is far-reaching for her own work, and also for the work that others did after her, because after she was hired to the story department was when Mary Blair was hired to the art department. After Mary Blair was hired to the art department was when gender integration began in earnest in the animation departments. It was it was because of Bianca Majol that the Disney company moved forward, and it was unfortunately at her expense. She was thrown under the bus so that they could get out of a ditch. And it sucks, and it's awful, and it's wretched that people are treated this way, and have been treated this way, and honestly are still treated this way. And we look at it like, oh, look at the progress we're making, though. Look at how much better we're treating people than we were back then. We get to we get to look back with bright, wide eyes and pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, gee, things are so much better back then when we totally gloss over the fact that there's no excuse for how awful things were back then. Yeah. But hey, you know, we we get to we get to look back now and say, thank you, Bianca. Yeah. Because it was people like you and it was people like Tyrus that made the Disney company what it was. Yes. It was it was people like Ub Iwerks. It was the it was the workers who did the work that made the company with Walt's name on it. And they did their own thing. And by doing their own thing, they, they introduced thing. the company to a new thing. The reason I kept trying to tell this production story, and the reason why I elected to make its audio into its own special is ultimately because of how important I think it is. I 100% believe that without Bianca Majoli, there is no Disney company. Her hiring opened the door for the women in the company who went on to revolutionize everything, from airbrushing processes, to animation techniques, to artistic design, to storytelling. It cannot be stressed enough how important the pathos of Elmer the Elephant was to the Disney company, because if you look at the earliest shorts, Skeleton Dancer, Steamboat Mickey, or The Three Little Pigs, for example, you can see that they're mostly just gags, jokes, screwball visuals, and slapstick humor. There's nothing wrong with this form of animation. Looney Tunes have had a lasting success with that process for decades. But it's just like Abby said, Pathos built this company. Elmer the Elephant built this company. 
Bianca Majoli built this company by proving that you could structure an animation like a Hollywood film, with characters that develop, with actions that have consequences, with a story that demands to be told that is more than just a fable or a fairy tale. And at the same time, it was the nine old men who built this company. Reifman and Clark and Johnson and Kimball and the rest who honed their craft and set traditions and methods of animation for decades to come. It was Ub Iwerks who built this company with his hard work and dedication to dramatic and innovative film techniques, revolutionary ideas for technical processes. It was Tyrus Wong and Mary Blair who set down cohesive and coherent artistic visions that, when interwoven through the characters and the backgrounds and the special processes, created simultaneously parts that were greater than the sum and a sum that was greater than its parts. The point I'm really trying to drive home here is that the Walt Disney Company was made special by employing revolutionarily skilled workers. Hundreds of them. Thousands of them. I don't think the Disney company is a perfect company, and I don't think Walt Disney is a perfect person. I think neither of those statements have ever been true at any point in time. It's important to me to let people know that he is an important collaborator. He's an important producer. He's not an important creator. People like Bianca Majoli are important creators. It's their stories that should matter just as much as Walt's. It's their stories that should matter maybe more than Walt's. Walt Disney was a producer and a collaborator and a storyteller, but he wasn't the artist or animator or writer that he is remembered as. He assembled arguably one of the greatest groups of artists, animators, and writers that American media has ever seen and may ever see again. The point I'm trying to make is that it is important to remember that Walt Disney is nothing without the people that his company employed, and that sometimes that company would treat its employees horrifically unfairly, no matter their value or their skill. Walt Disney was a single person. Ub Iwerks was a single person. Bianca Majoli was a single person. People are what matter. And I encourage you to think about that. Dissecting the Mouse would like to thank the artists and editors who have been involved. Morgan, Eric, the Cowboy, and Connor. Links to the artists and a bibliography of our sources can be found in the expanded credits. We would also like to thank the researchers, Abby and Nate. Nate would like to thank his library co-workers. As it is a review based on subjective opinion, Dissecting the Mouse is not intended to be a scholarly source. Thank you for listening.